Acts chapter 12, verse 25 to Acts 13, chapter 13, verse 12. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menahan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetriarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Thanks, Diane. The message this morning is titled, Word and Spirit, but you should probably rightly consider it Word and Spirit, Part 1. Not just because uh, we're approaching 12 o'clock, but because next week will be Part 2. So today is Part 1, and would have been anyway. Um, Acts chapter, um, the book of Acts We've been working through that for a number of weeks at this point already. And if you read through the book of Acts, there is a natural dividing point. You could divide it into two sections. And we have reached that dividing point this morning. The shift between Acts chapter 12 and chapter 13. At this point in the history of the church, when you come to chapter 13, there is a major shift in the philosophy, in the practice of the church. Everything before this point has looked a certain way, and everything after this point will be somewhat different. And it's my belief that this this shift that happens in this chapter is a natural shift that every healthy church gets to somewhere in its life cycle. Every church that is healthy and effective at some point will come to this place that the church in Acts comes to, and has to make this philosophical shift. Now, what has happened in Acts to this point? What has the church been doing? Well, so far, they have been preaching to their own kind at home. 
At Pentecost, Jews come from all over the place to Jerusalem, and Peter preaches to them, and there are 3,000 who get saved. Sometime after that, the church, as it grows and expands, experiences pretty significant persecution, and the church scatters. And everywhere that the believers go, they preach the word of God. Wherever they end up, they just take their faith with them, and they're speaking it to people. And people are getting saved all over the place. One of those places was Samaria. Acts chapter 8, Stephen leaves and goes to Samaria. He's preaching Jesus. Miracles are happening. People are getting saved. Another one of those places is in the household of Cornelius in Caesarea. Uh, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit, an angel says to Cornelius, um, go send for Peter. The Spirit tells Peter, somebody's sending for you. Go with him. Peter ends up there, preaches to his household. Holy Spirit falls. People are getting saved. And in both Samaria and Caesarea, suddenly the Christians are forced to reckon with the fact that God is embracing people into the church that they might not naturally have assumed would be a part of God's people. So they're forced then to accept, to rethink God's criteria and accept what God is doing and opening the doors to people that God is bringing to them. Then in chapter 11, you have the reality of these scattered Christians, again, preaching the word wherever they go. This incredible revival breaks out in Antioch. Barnabas goes there, incredible move of God. Saul comes. Chapter 12, persecution. The church always experiences persecution when it is following the ways of God. So, so far in Acts, they're preaching to their own kind wherever they happen to be at. And if persecution scatters them, that's how things spread and the church grows. In chapter 13, we see something that we have not yet seen in the life of the church. The church sends people out. This is the first conscious, proactive missionary enterprise in the history of the church. And there is a point in the life of any church, including ours... Where you have to, where the next step is to go out, not just to welcome in. Where we open the doors, not so that the community can come into our congregation. Where you open the doors so that we can go out into the community and share faith. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 13. And it literally changes the world. The church becomes a sending church for the first time. Um, in the end of Acts chapter 11, the last verse, Paul and Bar or Saul and Barnabas are sent from Antioch to Jerusalem with a gift to the saints uh, in Jerusalem. Then you have what happens in Jerusalem as Peter is imprisoned, released, and we talked about that last week, the whole point being that no matter if the kings of the world stand against the things of God, the enemies of God will fall and the word of God will continue to increase. And then chapter 12 picks up from chapter 11. We read it this morning. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service and brought with them John, whose other name was Mark. So now we're back with Barnabas and Saul. Now we're back in Antioch. And then chapter 13 begins. And I'm going to point out just a few things from these early verses. And we'll do the rest of the story next week. In some ways they belong together. But in some ways, it's appropriate to look at them separately as well. Chapter 13 and verse 1. This is what we read. 
Now, they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Um, the list begins with Barnabas, whom we've met. It ends with Saul, and it has three names in between. We're not going to dwell on them at all, but it's interesting that one of them is called Niger, which means dark or black, and one of them is from Cyrene, which is in North Africa. So this is already an ethnically diverse group of people, which I think is wonderful. That's what the church ought to be and will be at its best. And Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. Now imagine the difficulty for him. Remember last week we read about Herod, who's persecuting the church, cutting off James's head, putting Peter in prison. And this is somebody who it looks like was raised with him. A member of the household became a part of his court. I wonder what it was like for him to become a follower of Jesus. And how hard that might have been. And then you have these Jews, Barnabas and Saul. This is a church, a wildly diverse group of people. And then verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the context for this first missionary enterprise. And I want to point, up, point out a couple of things here that I think are very cool and very interesting and very instructive for us. The first thing that's mentioned is that while they were worshiping the Lord, the Lord in the book of Acts means Jesus specifically and not God generically. When someone in Acts is talking about the Lord, it is Jesus that they have in mind. So they are fixing their attention on Jesus in some intentional way, in some, some urgent event in which they are worshiping, there's, uh, they're fasting and praying. Uh, there, there's some, some intentional fixing of attention to listen and to seek. That's what's implied in these words here. And it's while they're doing that, that suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up and says some things to them. I think that's a very helpful thing for us to notice. If you long to see and experience more of the Holy Spirit in your life, I would suggest that the surest and quickest way to do that is to seek the glory and the honor of Jesus. I think if you want to see and experience the reality of the Holy Spirit, it is probably not as fast to go seeking Him, to go learning and studying about the Holy Spirit. I think it's a wonderful thing to do. We need to understand Him, how He works. But if you want Him at work in your life, fix yourself on Jesus, and immediately you have the Holy Spirit at your elbow saying, here, let me, let me walk with you as you do that. As the church focuses itself on her Lord, Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and speaks and guides and empowers. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to testify to me, Jesus said. 
And so we see that here in practice in the book of Acts. I wonder sometimes as well, and maybe, maybe those elders elect, maybe this is a word for you particularly, I wonder how well we do as churches at carving out space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us in a way that we can hear and we can understand. And, and I would suggest that maybe the, the single greatest role of our new elder board is to seek the Lord and worship and keep him central. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit will guide and direct and lead. I have several very talkative kids, and there are times when I raise my voice so that I can be heard, but there are some times when I just I stop and wait for a lull so that I can say something and be heard. And I think the Holy Spirit is like that more so. He, he never shouts at his people. He whispers. He speaks with a still, small voice. And sometimes, sometimes we need to sit down and lean forward in order to hear what he's saying. And what that looks like for us is to worship and to fast and pray and to be quiet. And then the Holy Spirit's voice comes through and says, okay, this is what is next. This is what I'd like you to do. The third thing I notice in these few verses is that this is not a private call to Barnabas and to Saul. I don't know if you picked up on it, but who does the Spirit speak to? While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Who is he not speaking to? Barnabas and Saul. He's not saying, I'm setting you apart for some work. He's speaking to the community, saying, I've got my hand on the shoulders of Barnabas and Saul. You set them apart for the work that I'm calling them to do. He speaks to the community of saints as they seek, as they worship, and as they listen. This is not a private call, but it's a call to the church to send apostles out with the word of God. And so verse 3 ends with the church fasting and praying, laying their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sending them off. Verse 4 begins with, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went out to Seleucia. Who sent Paul and Barnabas? Did the church? Yes. Did the Holy Spirit? Yes. The Holy Spirit acts through the church in this mission to see people come to the Lord Jesus Christ and find forgiveness. It's not church and spirit, as if they're side by side. It's spirit through the church. And when the church is at its best, seeking Jesus, hearing the Holy Spirit, then the work that the church is doing is actually the work that God is doing. And it is the kingdom of God that is moving forward not just the enterprise of the church or religion or Baptist. I love that in these verses. The Holy Spirit speaks to the church, identifies Barnabas and Saul, and says to the church, you send them out to do the work to which I have called them. 
just in summary and in closing, we're going to do the rest of this passage next week because there is a power encounter that I think is very significant as well. But for now, I would encourage us as we go from here today and as we move into our, our future, whatever God has for us, two things. That we worship the Lord. At all costs, whatever program, whatever else it is that we do, that at the center of it all, we are fixing our attention, our very lives, giving our adoration to the Lord, who is Jesus. When he is at the center, when he is at the center, the church almost just naturally becomes what the church is meant to be. And we need to fix ourselves on Jesus always and never lose sight of that. And then secondly, of course, and maybe obviously, to go out. To go out. The church before Acts 13 was healthy and it was effective. I don't want to say that it wasn't. Incredible things happening as they preached to their people in the power of the Spirit. But they came to the place where it was no longer enough for them to just speak where they were, but to go out to Cyprus, eventually to other cities around the Mediterranean, into Greece, Macedonia, all the way to Rome and beyond, even as far as Spain and across the world. And if you are here this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ, as I am, you are here because at one point the church decided to send people into the Gentile world and to tell them about the reality of Jesus. And we are the fruit of that. We also want to be the next generation that continues to do the same thing. Some of you know what that looks like. We have sent people out into missions, into ministry. We bless those of you who are intentionally doing things to advance the kingdom in your own world. Not just being Christian where you are in the conversations you're already having, but catalyzing new things to see the kingdom move forward. We bless you. I would also suggest that we need to go out as a church intentionally into this neighborhood and this community, surrounded by people who are far from God, whose lives are broken, and who need nothing more than they need Jesus. And who's going to tell them? Who's going to show them? I think God wants us to do that. A Jesus-centered church that goes out and advances the kingdom. We're going to talk more about that next week, what it actually looks like. But I leave us with that this morning. Let me pray. Lord, we come together every week and we worship. That is, we sing and we pray and we give. And we listen to your word. But I know my own heart and know the danger of doing those things without really praying and without really listening, without really worshiping. And so I pray for us this morning by the power of your spirit and again counting on your amazing love and grace for us that you will stir in us the kind of passion and faith and love that very consciously keeps Jesus Christ central not just as the object of our faith, not just as our theological center, 
with the very breath and heartbeat behind everything we do in every day with our lives. And I pray that as that happens, Holy Spirit, pray it. I know it. You will come and you will speak. We will see you at work. Lives will be changed. There will be power. We will have courage. But this I also pray for. And I pray that you will likewise send it. You've already sent us out. I pray that you will compel us with urgency to not be content, to see the world around us spiral downward without God and without hope. We are here in this place, not by accident. Lord, will you lead us out from here to transform this community for their good and for the glory of Jesus Christ and the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a hymn that may or may not be familiar, and my bulletin is down there. What number is it? It's 501, So Send I You. And this is a somewhat sobering hymn.